This message is produced by the Transformation Edge Church. We believe you'll be inspired and transformed by it. The Trans Edge, a change is inevitable. Hallelujah. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Doing well? That is good. That's good. You know, at times you, you look around and you're going, where, where is my brother? Where are my sisters? Where are they? The bed looks too good this morning, isn't it? <laughs> but you see, the Spirit of God is always available. He lives in you. He lives in me. And, um, and every time we gather together, he speaks to us. Do you know why? Because he enjoys it. Yeah. It's just like a father enjoys communicating with his children. God's spirit enjoys having conversations with us. And he wants us to come to that point where we have conversation. As a son or a daughter, we have conversation with his parents that they love. He's like, for my children, anytime. They can just come without any particular reason. They give me kisses. They give me cuddles. How lovely. And you think, well, don't worry. Just wait for them to grow out of it. Not really. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. Because when you continue to maintain a relationship that is not solid, I mean, that is not tainted by the world, the love will continue to endure. God said about his love, he said his love endures forever. He doesn't go, well, when you grow up enough, then I cease to love you. No, his love endures forever. So he wants us to continue to live with him, to communicate with him, to do life with him as beloved children. You remember Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1. He said, be ye therefore imitators of God as beloved children imitate their parents. So he wants us to continue to imitate him. He doesn't want us to be confused about our own identity because our identity is in him. So we will continue to understand that he loves us just the way he's always done and that that's not going to change. The relationship you have with him will only continue to grow. Yeah, right. Amen. 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 I thought to just throw that in this morning. Because when you sit together as a child of God, together with another child of God, there is this relationship, there is this fellowship. You know, I don't even have to talk to you, but as iron sharpens iron. You know, just sitting with you, just coming together, just staying together in the same room as iron sharpens iron. There's something in me that will impact you, not positively, but spiritually. Do you know why I said not positively? Because I don't want you to leave here and then you lose the spirit. But when you carry the spirit of what is going on, it continues. Hallelujah. It continues. And in saying that this morning, because we're all gathered together in God's house, we're going to have the, the, <clears throat> the communion. And the impact of the communion is huge. The communion is just not, it's not just that thing that we have where we just use it as a tick box. It's not a tick box. There is the significance. First and foremost, it reminds us about the works of Jesus Christ, the finished works of Jesus Christ. It reminds us about who we are in Christ. It reminds us that we are members of the same body. He is the head. We are members of his body. It means that the head would not go anywhere without the body. So that means that if he's enjoying victory, we are all in that together. Isn't it? And this, is, this just shows us 
that we are part and parcel of him. So if you're ready this morning, you know, the ladies will be passing on the communion cup. Make sure you have one. It's important. You see, for us, God's people, for Christians, is actually compulsory. Because that's one of the last things that Jesus said to us. He said, do this. Did he say, do this when you like it? Or do this when you're comfortable? No, he just said, do this in remembrance of me. And we'll continue to do this. It's the communion. Hallelujah. And I've always reminded us, every time we have this opportunity to participate in the communion together, that it's not just for those who are considered holy in terms of, in worldly terms, holy. You know, people consider righteousness based on what they think you've done right or you've done wrong. They think, well, if you did a particular thing yesterday, so God is not happy with you, so as a result of that, you are not qualified to receive the communion. No, the word of God never says so. Because he's your righteousness. He's your sanctification. He justified you for this very reason. So that you can live in his sight without any sense of guilt. So you might, you might feel dirty, but you live in his sight without any sense of guilt. Uh, Because it's not about your feeling, it's about what he's made you. And that's why the Bible tells us in 1 John, he said, if you've committed any sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So don't let anything that you've done hold you back from fellowshipping with him. And it's not about how long you've been at church. So, well, I'm holy enough now because I've been at church for the past two years. No, it's not how long. From the very day you got born again, you are accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. Now, another thing about the communion is that For some of us, we've seen the miraculous power behind the very act of communion, of taking communion. For us, we, we, we've seen miracles happen, even in our lives. Um, in my family, one of my family members, and I, I think I've, I've said this before, you know, had this particular thing. We said, well, we discovered something in your blood and so on and so forth. He said, what, really? Okay, so we got together and from that day on, we decided we're just going to have communion for a whole week. This same thing. Actually, it was not even as posh as this. Can I tell you what it was? It was Costco bread roll and a kind of fanta. But we received it in the name of Jesus, as a body and the blood of Jesus. And we just prayed with the whole family, in the name of Jesus. We thank you because we are part and parcel of you. And then went back for that test. That disease was gone. was gone. I'm saying this to say that this has a way of changing your life. It opens your heart 
actually is, a, is more or less a material medium, but it helps you to act on your faith. So in other words, if there is any sickness in your body, you can say, in the name of Jesus, because of this communion today, it tells me that I'm part and parcel of you, Jesus, and you die to take away this sickness. So I refuse every form of illness in my body. You see, it's your authority. It's your responsibility in Jesus' name. Are you ready for it? Can we stand on our feet? First Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 25. Or rather from verse 23. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So, Father, this morning, we thank you for the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And as this signifies the body of Jesus, we receive it with thanksgiving. And we know, oh God, that his body was broken for us to rid our bodies of every form of illness. So, Lord, we walk into that reality right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and eat. Thank you, Holy Spirit. After the same manner also, he took the cup. When he had stopped saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the blood of the new covenant, the new will, the new testament. It indicates that we are accepted in the beloved, not by our own making, not by our own goodness or perfection, but rather it's a gift that had been impacted upon our spirit, a gift of righteousness given by the grace of God. We were not worth it, but you loved us anyway. So here we are standing in your presence, understanding the impact of the blood of Jesus upon our lives, which cleansed the sin of the world, and position us to be one with Christ. Yes. We thank you. Thank you Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and drink. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We praise you, Father. We honor you. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things. And to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you. Woo! Glory to God. Hallelujah. Okay. Now, we, I'm going to quickly share a few things with you this morning, and I'll try and be quick with it. You know, there used to be those days where people would be at church for hours, like four hours, six hours. I'm not sure what has happened now. People stay in church for more than an hour. They feel like, come on, when are we going to close? When are we going home? But yet, they'll go to the restaurant and probably might spend more hours at the restaurant. 
And I've just said that to say, you know what? A better atmosphere, much more than this, but very quite similar, is what we are going to continue to enjoy when we get to heaven. So you better get used to it. How many of us want to go to heaven? All right, okay, good. So we can stay here for six hours, right? <laughs> I just messed up your calendar. Today we're talking about the part three of the possessor. The possessor. You know, God called Abraham, whom we call our father of faith. He called him the possessor of heaven and earth. Say, blessed be Abraham of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. And then together we sing, you know, there's this old, um, old Christian song that goes, Abraham's blessings are mine. How many of us know the song? Abraham's blessings are mine. I'm blessed in the morning, blessed in the evening. Abraham, blessings of mine. You see, we could sing that, we could repeat that, we could recite that. But we've got to know what the blessings of Abraham was. We've got to know. And the blessings of Abraham has been made right in Christ. Has been made right in Christ. So if he's been made right in Christ, we've got to then know now that we've come to be uh, God's children through Jesus Christ. What are these blessings and how do we bring them to bear upon our physical world? You see, God told the children of Israel, he said, as you step in, he said, that land that I'm taking you to is a land that flows with milk and honey. What does milk and honey signify in our world today? Can someone help me? Milk and honey. What does it signify in our world today? What could that be? Loads of money. Lands. Health. Complete health, as in well-being. That you wake up in the morning and you're just happy. And then you can't put a finger to the reason why you're happy. But you just know everything is sorted. Yeah. Kids are good. Relationships, fantastic. Job is going well. Business is prospering. So, well, that's what milk and honey signifies in our day. So God said to the children of Israel, say, I'm taking you to the land. That flows with me. It's actually, I've given it to you. He said, I've given it to you, not only just the land. He said, and also the inhabitants of the land. So I've given it to you. So I would have chose, you know, chased out the inhabitants. He said, but not completely, not together in one day. He said, but gradually. So that you understand, you know how to take advantage. So that you're not overwhelmed with a sudden wealth that you've come into. Praise God. All right. Now, and we already talked about that in part one and part two. Now, part three, we're still going on uh, Galatians chapter four, verse one. But before Galatians, is Isaiah chapter 54, where God has told us to extend, lengthen the cords, create capacity for the amazing things that he's doing in our lives. Create capacity. Make room. It's just like a um, new couple deciding to buy a house and then they decide to buy a five-bedroom home. How many of the rooms would they sleep in? One. Well, if you come from where I come from, two. Yeah, because, I, well, my dad and my mom never slept in the same room. Just saying. True? Yeah, okay. Just checking with 
others. But that's not to say they didn't love themselves. It was just the way it was. And I think that possibly was the way it was in the Old Testament. Where, oh, there's so many things I'd like to say, but... Okay, let's leave that alone. <laughs> so, how many rooms would they, would they stay in? Just one, yeah. right? But what's the other four rooms for? Prepping for the kids. Prepping for um, grandpa and grandma. Prepping for guests. So, you make room. If you, were, if you only bought a one-bedroom home, would you be comfortable to invite grandpa and grandma? No. Why? Because you don't have enough room. But that's all you need, isn't it? But you see, when we create capacity, we need to consider not only ourselves, but much more people. Much more. Because that's when the blessing comes. The blessing does not come when your capacity is taken, when it's full. The blessing comes when you have room. So with capacity, you're saying, I'm ready, God. I'm ready. I've done my part. You do yours. I'm ready. Are we still here? So Galatians chapter 4, verse number 1. So now the heir, as long as he's a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Let's take that again. So now I say that the heir, someone said to me last week, he said, well, you pronounced it wrongly. You kept, kept saying the heir, the heir, sorry. Well, I, I hope you understood what I was saying. He said it's pronounced the air. Okay. How about H-A-I-R? Hair. Okay, good. Just wanted to be sure. Okay. Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, differed nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. He's not different from a servant, although he owns everything, although he owns the estate, but he's not a possessor, although he is the owner. At that stage, he's not a possessor, although his name is on it as the heir apparent. So in other words, you could, you could, your name could be on the house, but you are not the one possessing it. You're right. So it differed nothing from a servant. So it's comparable to a servant, although he owns everything. But it's under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. And we talked about the time as not a certain age. I know the Amplified Translation says until he's of a legal age. Now, a legal, a legal age in biblical sense is not age 18. A legal age in biblical sense is maturity. And maturity is not, you know, are you tall enough? Are you big enough? Have you developed well? That is not maturity in biblical sense. Maturity is how good your relationship with God is. Are we still here? So you might look gorgeous and handsome, tall, dark, and handsome, like myself, yeah? Okay. And, and <laughs> all right. Yeah, but I don't have the six-pack, and that's what my wife keeps telling me. You need a six-pack. I've got a spiritual one, and she loves that. Okay, praise God. Okay, she says no. It's all right. I love you too. The heir, as long as it's a child, might not be a possessor, although his name is on the property. Why? Because he cannot possess, because he's not mature. So today, we're going to be talking about what I've titled The Possessor, an Heir with Responsibility. Are we ready for that? Yes. 
Matthew chapter 21. Verse number 28. And there's a parable of Jesus. Now, this parable is set in a particular context, but I want to pull it into this context for a moment, and you will understand where we're going with that. Is that okay? All right. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first son and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented. Say that with me, repented. repented. All right. So afterward, he repented and went. And he, the father, came to the second and said likewise. In other words, son, number two, go to my vineyard and work. And the son answered and said, I go, sir. And went not. So, whether of them twain did the, will, did the will of his father. This is King James Version. I like it because of the old English. So, which of the two of them actually did the will of the father? Is it the first one that said, no, I won't go, and later repented and went? Or the second one that said, all right, sir, I will go, and then did not go? So, which of them did the will of the father? Of course, it's the first one, Right? Good. Now, these two sons have responded from a particular perspective. Can we use this for a moment? The two sons have responded, but have they responded as sons with responsibility? No. Why? Because first, what is responsibility? An ability to respond, isn't it? Yeah. And if the first one said, I will, or rather, I will not, has he responded? No. And the second one said, I will, but was not even intending to, has he responded? No. So both of them lacked responsibility. And both of them responded, number one, from the place of guilt. And the second one responded from what place? Okay. Compulsion. The first one responded from a place of guilt. First, he said, I'm not going to do it. But he repented. Ah, my dad. Ah, what would they think? And the second one went, oh, well, when your dad says something, just say yes to get him off your back. You don't have to do it, do you? Just say yes. So both sons, although the first one later did the will of the father, but those sons lacked responsibility. Do you think these sons will become possessors? No. Why? Because if you lack responsibility, there's no maturity. Are we still here? There's no maturity without responsibility. Now, here... I said, responsibility is the ability to meet obligations, the act of being accountable, or a duty of trust. Mm. So you see, the heir, so let's think about the first song for a moment, or rather the second one, 
who said, I will, Dad. I will. But he ended up not doing it. But let's say, for example, he went on and looked for other people and delegated his responsibility. A heir can delegate anything except responsibility. Because if you delegate responsibility, you can't grow. You will learn how to be. You can't simply just give your responsibility away. So, a heir, it's too difficult for me to pronounce. But however I say it, you just know what I'm talking about, right? A heir can make good growth progress. When they, number one, know their responsibility, and the reason I'm writing, I'll tell you in a minute. Two, when they act responsibly, and three, when they take responsibility. So the growth process for an heir is to acknowledge their responsibility, act responsibly, or act responsively. I was still here. So not only just acting responsibly, but rather acting responsibly and then taking responsibility. Because without that process, you might still be an heir. Your name is on it. But you can become a possessor. So you can delegate it. Oh, well, someone else can do it. Hey, how about you do it? Joshua. Joshua was not actually in line to become Moses' successor. Joshua was just serving. He was a servant, not a slave. He was a servant. Although a servant with a slave mentality, you say, well, why is, did he have slave mentality? Perhaps we just look at his history, the, you know, his grandparents, great-grandparents, lived in the land of Egypt for 400 years as slaves. So the only mentality that he would have by nature is a slave mentality. But he refused to live in that mentality. So he served, although he was not under compulsion to serve. He served. And guess what he did? He knew his responsibility. Even when Moses would have finished from the camp of meeting, or rather the tent, and went home to his own camp, the Bible tells us that Joshua stayed back. He knew his responsibility. So possibly he was the first person to be there before Moses came in, and the last person to leave if he ever left. Another example, Joshua, same Joshua, right? Moses went up to the mountain twice on two occasions, to the, the first time to the mountain, and stayed there for 40 days. It's not like he goes there in the morning and comes back later, later at night. He went and stayed there for 40 days. Guess who was at the foot of the mountain? Joshua stayed at the foot of the mountain. The rest of the children of Israel realized that Moses had not shown up in 20 days, 25 days, 30 days, and called Aaron. Aaron, Moses has disappeared. We need a God. But Joshua was meant to be part of them, but he separated himself, took responsibility, acted respons responsibly and responsively. I wasn't talking to you. And 
and took responsibility. I was still here. So he would have said, all right, Moses, you've been there for 40 days or 38 days, let's say. I'm tired now. I've got to go home. The Bible didn't tell us he heard Moses' voice. The Bible did not tell us that he took note of what was happening up there. No. He just stayed there. He aligned himself. You see, when God says, I've taken you to a place where I've called you to be, he's no longer asking you to be an heir, but rather to take possession. Why? Because just by being a child of God, you are already an heir. Are we still here? Just by being a child of God. Just by being born. I've got three children. And just by being born into my family, they are already my heir. Whether they are nice or they are not nice, they are still my heir. But what qualifies them to take possession is their growth. Are we still here? Have they grown? Have you seen families where three children and the, the property is shared into 20, uh, 25, and what's left? 55%. Why are we giving 20, 20% to one and then giving 55% to one? Why is it not just all equal? Because this one has earned the trust of the father. I was still here. He's grown. The father knows that the 55% is not just for him alone. That in the 55%, he will still take care of the 20% and 25% possessors. So he wouldn't put too much on this one because he knows the one with 20% is just for him. I was still here. Please let me know if I lost you anywhere. So the two sons that we talked about in Matthew, chapter 21, they lacked responsibility. Remember that? They lacked responsibility. Oh, God. All right. So, lacked. Number two, they lacked ability to commit. Number three, they lacked honor. Number four, they lacked the spirit of service. You cannot become a boss if you've not first learned how to serve. Has there been any child who, are just, who was just born old and grown without first being a child and learning the pattern of growth? It's the same thing. You cannot become a leader. You cannot become a possessor if you've not learned the ability to respond, the ability to commit. If you've not learned honor, and if you don't have the spirit of service. So think about those two guys again. The father went out to them and said, hey, the first one, I'd like you to go to my vineyard and work today. Now the father said, my vineyard. But it was up to the son to actually interpret that and go, our vineyard. Are you still here? You know, there are people, you know, <laughs> there are people who talk to me at times and go, you know, when I came to your church, I'm like, oh, right. 
my church? At what point will it be your church? And they've been here for a very long time. Say, do you know in your church, this is what you do? I say, okay, so at, at what point is it going to be yours? You've been here for quite a while now. Because until it becomes yours, the blessing there will not come to you. Until you are a part. Ah. Until you are a part. You cannot be a part taker. Are you still here? It's the same thing. And at times, it's our mentality that stops us from being a partaker. Why? Because we may lack commitment. So why did I say commitment? Think about those two boys. The first one said no, and later went ahead to do it. Why? Because he probably wants to tick off every other thing on his calendar first. What if, what if I get called for a shift? So I'm just going to say no, and probably if I don't get a shift, I'll, I'll just go and do it later. Lacks commitment. Can't be trusted. You can't put in, him in charge of anything. And the second one lacked honor. Both of them, actually. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, it said, honor your father and your mother that it may be well with you. That it may be well with you. Now, if God is suggesting that you honor your earthly fathers and mother, what do you think he, what do you think he expects of himself as your spiritual father? To honor your father and mother that it may be well with you. So it's the first commandment with promise that you may live long. All right. Okay, let's move on. Ooh, my time is over already. I'm only just getting started. You see, an heir instead of responding this way because of what they lacked, I, I said earlier, you can't just, you can't just give away responsibility. But if you can't give away responsibility, what then can you do? You can model it. You can teach it. And you can share it. You model it. You teach it share it. Because when you model responsibility, it means that you have to have known how it works. I'm still learning. I tell you, I'm not telling you that I've come to that point where I understand completely what it means to grow. I'm still learning. But nevertheless, I've learned to a point where I know what I cannot do by myself to ask someone else to do it. Or because I think it's difficult, I ask someone else to do it. Ask my team. I have to do it first. I'll know how it works. So that when you're, when you're struggling, I can still come to your aid and go, okay, so how can we do this? And what are we learning from this process? responsibility. So you can model it, you can teach it, and you can share it. So to grow, model it first. You probably might have people that respond to you. Yes, don't just take advantage of them and throw your responsibility on them. Model it. Model it. Then teach it and share it. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. And there's a background story to this, but I'll leave that to you to go and study. 
But I want to bring, actually, verse number three, but let's read from this one. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. So they wanted to fight him. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There comes a great multitude against you from beyond the sea on this side Syria, and behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is Engedi. Now here's what Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel, did. He said, And Jehoshaphat feared. In other words, he was afraid because he heard about the people coming against him. So Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Amen. All right. Now, in cases like these where Jehoshaphat was clearly in crisis, Guess what some of us will do in our world today when you feel like you're in crisis? You give up. You back up. And flee, possibly. So the idea of fight, flight, freeze. There's a fourth one now, you know that. So fight, flight, freeze. The fourth one is faint. See, there are some people, they are so, they, they come to that point where they are so scared and they just faint. I'll tell you a, a short story. When we were young, probably I was around the age of 10, 11. Um, you know, armed robbers came to our house. And uh, we're just going. <laughs> Interesting. We're just coming back from church at night, around about 11 p.m., 12. So they came, they surrounded the house, took my dad in, and so on and so forth. And then one of them came to me and screamed, yelled at me, lie down. Well, I laid down, and I could feel this cold metal on my head. And I just knew what it was. And then he said to me, I hear you are the stubborn one. But right there, I fell asleep. It's true. I fell asleep. And what woke me up was a gunshot when they were on their way out. You know how the scripture says it gives its beloved sleep? <laughs> I was so afraid. But instead of crying, I went to bed. Good choice. But you see, if that's that same thing will no, no longer happen. But if that were to happen today, my response would be different. But you see, Jehoshaphat was in a crisis. And in the crisis, he was afraid. But guess what he did? He went to seek the Lord. So we have three options. Either to give up, to back up, or to stand up. What would you do? Would you stand up? Would you take responsibility, or is it time to run away? Is it time to get the fire extinguisher, or is it time to run away and call triple zero? Calling triple zero is great. It's a good idea. But if it's a small fire that you can extinguish, and you've got a fire extinguisher, take responsibility. Act. Because fire never starts big. True? It starts small. 
You notice it, you kill it. Finally, there are four types of air. Can I quickly write that on the, on the board? Four types of air. And if you remember nothing today, please remember this. And the reason I've been writing is so that you take mental picture of what we are talking about today. Mental picture. Four types of air. Number one. The dropouts. What does that mean? The air who gives up. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. It's too difficult. Is the air, instead of enjoying, they will endure. Is the air who's so sensitive? Why are they talking to me like that? How, how come I'm the only one that everyone is looking at? Why are you looking at me? I'm not going to go there anymore because of the way they treated me. They even asked me to move seats and sit somewhere else. Why can't I just sit where I want? The air who drops out. And the dropout cannot be a possessor. Are you still here? The dropout does not get a certificate. Okay? The second one. The cop outs. Okay? The heir who makes excuses for why they aren't responsible. Makes excuses. Oh, do you know why? This is why. They always have an excuse. And they have a way of justifying it. It makes sense. And you have no option but to say, okay, it's all right. But you see, excuses is a limiter. It's a limiter. It's a limiter. You make excuses in your relationship for why it's not going well. It limits you. It limits growth. How about take responsibility? You make excuses for, for why you can't, you can't have a good relationship with God. Come on. Take responsibility. For goodness sake, wake up and pray. Wake up. Study the word. Wake up. Be there when you're required to be there. Be there even when you're not required to be there. Be like Joshua. I'll be the first to rock up and the last to leave. All right? The third one. The holdouts. The air who waits too long to take responsibility. Just hold out a little longer. Probably they will change their mind. And perhaps this, the second child who said, I will, probably was waiting for that to come back and say, it's okay, someone else is doing it. He waited out. You know, when we're younger, oh, this is bad. When we're younger, my dad will usually call out this way. Is anyone there? I'll look at my sister, look at my brother, and then get back to what I'm doing. And then, because he doesn't know the particular person who is in the room, but he knows a child is in the room. And it goes again. Anyone there? Can anyone respond to me? And we just look at ourselves. And at times, I get, I'm the first one to become guilty. I go, yes, I'm here. Then I'll be, begin to blame the others. Why didn't you answer? Why didn't you answer? The holdouts. Waiting long, just in case someone else answers. Cannot be a possessor. The last one.
the all outs. It's all for it. Before you even call, it's, 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 it's available. It takes full responsibility. He knows the person in the team who's dropped the ball, but he still says it's okay. We'll fix it. It's us. It's me. It's all right. He's non-blaming. It doesn't go later. Yeah, you know it's because of you. I just took responsibility for that. You know, right? It doesn't go later and blame them. It doesn't identify weak link. He goes, let's do it together. We may have failed now, but we can do this together. That kind of an air, of an air, the all out is a possessor. This is the kind of person who can take any land, who can take anything. Why? Because he's learned the art of responsibility. He has the ability to respond. Hebrews chapter number 5, or rather chapter number 4, and that's my last one, and I'll let you go. I'm so sorry I've taken more time. But Hebrews chapter 4, actually it's, my, it's chapter 5, sorry. Verse number 11 of whom we have many things to say and had to be altered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. Uh, what it's talking about here is that, you know, you're not yet ready for it. Now, he, he was talking to a, a number of people. And my point here is actually from verse number 12. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And I become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful. Anyone that is sensitive to touch, sensitive to words, sensitive to responsibility, sensitive. He said he's unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a child, he is a babe. Because the purpose of God's word, and I'm going to default to Graham in, in a moment, the purpose of God's word is to correct, transform, guide, that the Son of God might be form, fully formed. It's the purpose of the word. If the word of God cannot correct, or rather we get sensitive when the, the correction comes, guess what? He calls him a babe. So for everyone that uses milk is unskillful, unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat, whoo, strong meat. And what is strong meat? What we've been talking about, being able to take responsibility. Been able to stand up and go, Lord, you know what? I'm ready. I may be the owner of the, you know, I'm the owner of the estate, but I've got to do the work. I'm not going to ask people to do the work that I'm not willing to do myself. I've got to do the work. I've got to take responsibility. I've got to be committed. I've got to seek first the kingdom. I've got to seek first the good in people before I point out the bad in them. And actually, if I learn how to point the good in people, I may not be able to see the bad. I was still here. So strong meat belongs to them that are full age. When we're talking about full age, we're not talking about those who are 90, 95, 100. We're talking about those who are matured in the things of God. We're not talking about the dropouts or the cop-outs or the holdouts. We are talking about the all-out heirs. All-out. Ready. Ready. Are we ready? Because the reason we continue to talk about the possessor is because the season we've stepped into is a season of power, is a season of growth. 
It's a season. And we'll continue to talk about this. We'll continue to talk about this. Because we're ready to take full advantage of what's contained in this next level. Take full advantage. Take full advantage. And the reason why we've gone through this is for you to identify where you are at and take corrective actions. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The message you've heard was produced by the Transformation Edge, and we hope it has inspired you. For more information, please visit our website, www.thetransedge.com, or you may contact us via email to frontdesk at thetransedge.com, or on Facebook, The Transedge Church. You may wish to call us on 02-4731-2419. The Transedge, a change is inevitable.